0: Want to welcome up um, our, and in a moment, I'm going to welcome up our previous um, lead pastors to come on the stage with us. And I want to make mention of, first of all, of Truva Bartle, who is the founding pastor of Thrive Church. <laughs> and I'm going to get you all to give them an even bigger clap soon, but. Um, Trevor, and I also want to mention um, his late wife, Clarice. And she was an amazing lady, um, full of so much grace and love. And she's now with Jesus. And I'm sure God's going to let her have a little peek down today and just see the celebrations that are happening here as well as the celebrations that are happening in heaven today. So I want to make mention of them. We also have um, my parents, um, Lynn and Peter, who will be joining us on stage as well. And you know they're incredible people. Um, And we have um, Chris and Ruth Diath as well, who were the lead pastors before Glenn and I. Some of you will know them, some of you not so much, wonderful people um, who are going to join us, so... Each one of these people have helped to shape um, Thrive Church to be what it is, has helped to make the DNA of our church what it is. I know because I've kind of seen it on the other side, the the blood, the sweat, the tears that has gone in um, as they have led this church and the, the things that they have fought for, the things that they have taught, that they've released into this church and we have so much to be grateful for to these people and also to the other people that were leaders in the church at the time too but especially to these people Um, we have so much to be grateful for to them today so as I welcome them up on stage this morning I wonder if we could just give them stand to our feet as well and give them a really big clap and share as they come up this morning let's give them a great big cheer. This is Pastor Trevor, let's welcome him up. Thank you so much, you can have a seat. Just before I pass the microphone over, I wanna also make special mention, excuse me, of each one of our families. Um, so for, for all of us, we've had children in the church who have been right alongside us as we have led. Well, for us, we've still got children in the church right alongside us. Um, And I want to make special mention of parents and grandparents and siblings. I've got my amazing older brother down the back of church and just so many people who, like, as our family, you guys have stood by, encouraged, supported and been there with us. And I really want to honour you. And church, can we just, can you clap for our families as well? Thank you. Okay, so Trevor, would you like to go first? We've just asked each of these wonderful people to pray over Thrive Church. So I'm going to pass the microphone over. Just to pray. Well, you can say something. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I I had 60
1: seconds. (laughs) Oh dear, it's a real thrill to be here though i wish clarice was here but uh she's not Mm. yes so it's a real thrill we started out 35 years ago uh, on the vision of each church and i'm saying southbrook new life they're not new life anymore are they gateway Um, each church was to plant another church in that particular time and so peter and lynn and uh, uh, Clarice and I decided we will plant a church back in the main street of Brangayora and reach out to the young people. And I think the vision has continued and you're still reaching young people, and that's wonderful. And it's just been terrific. It's it's great to come back from 12 and a half years living in Australia and see what's taken place and uh, continue on. Felt embarrassed to come back here because I wasn't getting any younger. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it, it's, it's simply terrific. So now, that, that's my 60 seconds, was it? <laughs> and uh, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful goodness to us, Lord, for the freedom that we have. Lord, and that we've enjoyed over these years, Lord. And we we pray, Lord, that this church will continue to um, follow the leading that you give by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we'll follow it in such a way that we uh, help many people come to experience the joy and wonder of uh, walking with Jesus Christ. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
2: Thanks. I just want to stand by Trevor while I pray because <laughs> if it wasn't for this man, um, I would never have been given a microphone in a church. <laughs> and that's the way it was back then. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, yeah.
1: today. Did, you know that, did you know that the um, Rick Warren's church has just yes. been suspended from the Southern Baptist Convention yes, because they appointed women... Leaders, ministers. And yes, they're so biased against
2: it. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) My spiritual dad and my teacher. (laughs) And uh, we had some amazing times of pouring over scriptures and, yeah, just, uh, yeah. So, Father, I just want to thank you for what came before. I want to thank you for Trevor and Clarice and all that they carried. Including the pain and including the pain I cause them at times. And uh, (laughs) Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, it's the it's the hallmark of this church. Your grace. Your grace that covers, your grace that lifts, your grace that forgives, your grace that empowers, your grace, your favour. It's all about what you do. It's not about our performance, individually or even as a church. It's about your grace. And so, Father, I thank you that as we see this lineup of leaders here, that there'll possibly somewhere in this congregation are the next leaders of of Thrive Church and the leaders of other churches that you want to plant out of here, And, and Lord, to carry the heart, the DNA from here into other places across the nation. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to serve you and my generation. But Lord, David talks about more than that. It's not settling until you declare the greatness of God to the next generation. And so Father, I declare that ongoing generational blessing Mm -hmm. and movement over this church. And Lord, I also pray for all of those who've been part of this church who are not no longer part of this church, that, Lord, today, your spirit would move in their lives in some way, and especially those who are not walking with you at the moment. Lord, we, we call them back into the family of God. Father, we thank you for each precious one that has encountered you in the 35 years of the ministry of this church, in the buildings, in the homes, in the streets. And Father, we thank you that the best is yet to come.
3: Amen Heck, what do you pray when you're standing up here with such generals of the faith? I was like, when I heard Trevor was back in the country last year, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be amazing if all four? Uh, couples could stand on the stage again um, and be represented again. And I, mean, I just hope people are taking heaps of photos because I want these photos. Um, I am standing on the stage with my heroes. I'm standing on the stage with my teachers. <laughs> what do you say? What do you pray? Father, thank you. Oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. Thank you we get to stand here again and we get to represent 35 incredible years of yeah, of great things happening, but of the pains and the troubles and those things as well, Lord, but how you have taken them and you have made something so spectacular and something so beautiful, Lord. I long to know what it looks like on the other side of eternity, what has been released through this place, Lord. I long, and I look forward to that day. Father, right now, I just want to thank you for my heroes. I want to thank you for Glenn and Debbie, heroes as well, who now hold the baton and take this place forward, Lord. And I just again want to declare to the gates of hell, you have no right and you shall not prevail against the armies of the Most High God. That there are going to be young men and women released from this place that are going to transform the globe that are gonna transform Rangiora, are gonna transform this nation. We declare that again in the mighty Name of
4: Jesus. Amen. Trevor, I just wanna, uh, when I came to this church, it was back in 1996, and you weren't uh, leading at that time. So I haven't actually sat under your leadership, but I just wanna thank you personally for what you did in catching the heart of God and pioneering something with your amazing wife in establishing this church. So I just want to thank you so much for doing that. We wouldn't be here without that step, without that faith activation, without that without the courage to go and do what you did. So I just want to you yeah, just want to honor you for doing that. Trevor um to, to Lynn uh, and Peter really to Lynn and Peter um, I just want to I just want to thank you for every opportunity that you gave to Chris and myself you know we were um, we were just kind of in our 20s and obviously to Ruth and Debbie as well were included here um, we we were a big we were a big risk and i was getting my life sorted out and Lynn was just like get into youth leadership and and um and i want to i want to touch on the fact that you're a woman and that you're the senior leader and i want to honor that i want to honor that um that you weren't trying to make a point out of what you were doing. You weren't doing it to make a point. You were doing it out of the diligence and out of the expression and the obedience of how the Holy Spirit was leading you. And I want to honour the courage and the strength and the tenacity that you showed in doing that. And the fruit then that has come from your leadership and the permission that you gave myself and Chris and the leadership that we were able to learn from because you were obedient, I want to honour and just thank you for being true to who you are. To Chris, um, yeah. To Chris and Ruth, um, and but I did work with Chris a lot, and I know you worked on Chris a lot. Um, and I, I never considered myself as a leader. Um, I came into to thrive and into ministry just to serve and help. And what I saw in Chris, and who Chris called me out to be and become. Chris is a couple of years younger than me, as well, and so I had a I had. You know i had to learn from someone younger and that was like oh this is a different this is humbling but chris created an environment in this place of um permission and calling people out just out of the shadows and giving opportunity as well i just want to thank you chris for believing in me for um teaching me what a leader looks like and um for for blessing deb and i to really carry this mantle and this um, for the last nine years. So I just want to thank you and Ruth, I just want to thank you for you guys for your dear friendship towards us as well. We love you guys. So Jesus, we just thank you that, that we are all here for such a time as this. And we thank you for our hour of salvation, the day of salvation that is upon us. We thank You for, this, for the footstep that we are gonna leave in this block of time, in this nation, in this region, God. Lord, that You've called us to, to release the DNA of heaven through our lives, God, and bring the expression of the nature of the Father to our region. And we just say yes to that at this hour. We honour You and we give You praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just give the King another clap, another shout of praise. We worship You, Lord. We worship You, Lord. We worship You, Lord. So good. How about we jump to our feet, we put our hands together as we welcome up Chris to bring the Word today. We love you, Chris. Thanks, mate.
3: Thanks, man. Fantastic, great to be with you this morning. Rangir is looking pretty good, isn't it? Yes. Hey, I know you've got a new gelato shop down the road there and I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it, actually, so good job, Rangir, well done. Um, look, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna muck around um, this morning. i got a word that I, w- I wanna bring. Um, and we've got, uh, we've got 25 minutes and then we've got the kids coming back in. Um, I just wanna uh, say a couple of things in terms of the second service. If you've got a, a genetic condition, there's a, a genetic condition, we're gonna go after that in the second service. Um, so maybe you were planning to uh, to go home and um, mow the lawn or something like that, um, but hey, let's believe that God's gonna do some healings um, in that second service. So just a, a heads up on that one. Um, when I was prayed in as the senior pastor of this church, when Ruth and I were prayed in as the senior pastors of this uh, church many, many years ago, uh, Anne Morrow and Leo Hanson came in and invited them to come and to, uh, to take that service. Um, and I remember Anne Morrow, of course, is, you know, probably most of you know Anne Morrow, an incredible woman of God. Incredible woman of God. I just uh, I get excited every time I see her. I got to minister with her uh, a couple of years back in Wanaka, and it was just such great privilege and a joy. She prayed over uh, us, and she said that you will be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times and the seasons and knew what Israel should do. And for many, many years, I've remembered that as probably one of the few things I remember from that day, um, other than getting a cool wooden baton. Um, And uh, I, I have never really felt like I've fully walked in that up until about two years ago when I really started to... Catch actually what God was doing on a global scale and certainly in a New Zealand scale. Um, And interesting, isn't it? What the enemy plans and purposes for evil, God turns around for good. And it was actually through COVID that God really started to sharpen and hone that in me. And I have a confidence now in God that I am walking in that more and more. And so I want to bring a word to you today, and I want to say some things that I believe God is doing, and I want to suggest to you some things that God might be doing. And it's important that we clarify that, um, because I am going to raise some questions. I'm not going to fill in all the blanks this morning. I'm going to let you guys go away, because more than anything, God wants an intimate journey with us, yes, as a corporate and as a body, but also with us as individuals as well. Very interesting, as we came into the COVID time, how the, the prophets really didn't have much of a grasp on what was going on. I don't know if you noticed that. They weren't privy to what was going on. Whereas as we've come into this year, I have felt like there is a clarion call that is coming out across senior prophets in the world. This year, when I pressed into God to ask him what was going on, um, the 1st of January, he woke me about 5am and he said, let's talk and he just started to download a whole bunch of things and he's continued to download things to me this year. Um, and the thing that I like to do is I like to catch what I believe God is saying to me before I look at anything else that is going on. And so then I started to share some of these things with my close friends uh, and they started to say, have you, have you read the prophecy from such and such? Have you heard, this from, have you heard what this person's saying? And so then once I felt like I'd solidified what I believed God was saying to me, then I started to look at some of those things and go, wow, hallmark, uh, marker, 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 wow. Um, So yeah, I want to give you a few of those thoughts today. You will all be, I hope, familiar with the Israelites through their period of captivity through to the promised land. It's a space of about 470 years, if we include the 40 years of them walking in the desert. I know there's some conjecture over exactly how long they were captive in Israel, uh, sorry, in Egypt, but you'll be familiar with it. You know, we've got those great Bible stories we grew up on, haven't we, of Moses and growing up in Pharaoh's house, and then we've got all the plagues, we've got the crossing of the Red Sea, we've got the walking around in the desert, we've got the water coming out of rocks, Moses should have spoke to a rock but he hit a rock then they cross the Jordan then we get the walls of Jericho and then we go in and uh, and we see them take over the land everyone familiar with that passage of, of scripture if you're not uh it's a good one to get familiar with there's cool things in there there's giants and there's frogs and there's plagues and there's big grapes there's just a fruit bowl moment uh in there there's 470 years of the Israelites really not playing well. You know, if they were the All Blacks, we would have given up on them a bit like the Warriors. I think they're a league team. <laughs> 470 years of them not playing well. But there were a smattering of a few wow moments where God acted on their behalf and split wide flooded Rivers open for them to walk through and plagues came and incredible things happened. There were a few wow moments, but overall we'd look at that passage and we go 470 years. It wasn't a great run for them. And if we look at their battles in the desert, that 40 years, you know, they get out there and they have a pretty good win within a couple of months uh, where they take the Amalekites down. So that's a win. And then we've got, they go after the Amalekites and the Canaanites and they get completely hammered. So that's a loss. And then we've got um, Edom, which was basically they didn't show up for the battle. So we'll call that a forfeit. And then we've got um, the battle of Arad. Excuse my pronunciations. I've always got them wrong, and I continue to get them wrong. And that was kind of one apiece. So if we look at the season results for the Israelites, having come through the bulk of the desert, they've got a win, they've got a loss, they've got a forfeit, They've got a loss. They've got a win, and then we get Sehon and Og. Still love Og. I, was, I took down Og. It just sounds like yeah. Who reckons that sounds cool? Yeah, they, we 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 won against Og. And uh, and, and so that, they were a couple of really good wins towards the end of their time uh, in the desert. But it was kind of the new wave of players that were through then. They were starting to take on the battles. So that was kind of the beginning of things starting to really start to turn around for them. 470 years is a long time. And the first question I want to pose to you is, or no, sorry, I want to suggest to you is that I don't think the Israelites really had a winning mindset when you spend that much time captive and as a slave people, your spirit becomes broken. And we certainly see God going in there on behalf and raising up Moses within a royal household to be able to lead a people who are pretty downtrodden and oppressed. And I wonder if the church across the globe is a little bit like that. So, you know, I certainly think of my time as the lead pastor here, and we just saw thing go th- through parliament, thing after thing after thing, a prostitution law reform, homosexual law reform, all of those things, and we, we turned up for the battles, and, and it didn't seem to have much effect. And then we've continued to watch things that we kind of go, oh man, You know, do we still, do we actually still turn up for the battle? Uh, Have we started to unwittingly find ourselves with that kind of that mindset um, of it's, you know, what's the use? The cool thing is, is that God always knew who the Israelites were and he took them on a process to remind them, to show them, to educate them on who they were as a people group. And he knew what they could achieve if they would go about it his way. Now, if we put ourselves, the Bible gets really fun when you don't just read words on a page, but you put yourself in the picture. So let's start to think from the perspective of the enemies of Israel. And start to think in terms of that context. What was it like looking on at them? And I would suggest to you that their mindset was, well, it's worth a crack if it's the Israelites coming against us. We'll, we'll turn up for the battle. Because, you know, 50% of the time, it seems that they lose. And actually, it's God that's helping them lose almost. You, you, you could, you know, so I don't know, if I was in the enemy's camp, I'd be like, I'll give it a crack. Heck yes, I will give it a crack. they got the odd wow moment, but if I'm looking in on what these people have doing for 470 years, I'm like, it's not been going great for them. It's, it's, it's worth taking them on. Now, when they start to approach the promised land and, and they're, ready to, they're ready to go in this time, there's two spies that are sent out. And of course, they go over and they meet with Rahab. Um, And it's really interesting, if you read around that time, is that the the gates to the city were open. So there were people that were going in and going out, and it would appear that the two spies just walked in the front gate. At night, the gate was closed, and then they had to be lowered out of a window. Uh, But, you know, they were coming and going. So it would appear, that in the promised land, they were sitting pretty fat, dumb, and happy. They had big grapes, after all. They had their fruit bowl. And there might have been a bit of conjecture amongst them in there, but it kind of looks like they were getting on. There was trade, there was industry. It was all looking pretty good for them. Kind of a bit like the West until a plague hits. Now, post-crossing, so that the, the waters are parted, they go through. Now they're on the same, same bit of land. There's, there's, no, there's no barrier. And that's when we start to read that the city walls were locked up. Now Rahab says to them, and, I, and I'm all good with this, Rahab says to them, we've heard, about, we've heard about what God's done on your behalf. So there was certainly an awareness of some of the well moments. But the fact that the city gates were open, people are coming in and out, they weren't greatly fearing this bunch of ragtag people on the other side of a very big flooded river. I mean, why would you? But once they cross, that's a wow moment, and the city gates are shut up. Jericho, shut up. Nobody. The Bible says nobody is coming in, and nobody is going out. And then they get this, Phenomenal battle plan, which Glenn referenced this morning, where basically they just walk around the city once a day. And I'm pretty sure they're quiet as they do it. And then on the seventh day, they have to walk around, what is it, how many times? Seven times and make a lot of noise. I don't know. If I was Vladimir Zelinsky right now, and someone came to me and said, boss, we've got a great way to take the kremlin i'm sure he'd be like tell me i'm all ears he goes well what we're going to do is we're going to go we're going to camp by it and then once a day we're going to go walk around it quietly (laughs) i I don't i don't know if he'd be sort of like hey great idea go for it do you know interestingly he never had any political experience. He is an entertainer and a comedian, and yet he is the one there at the forefront of a war. Uh, Did you find that interesting? I find that interesting. Fascinating. Anyway, side note. So that's their battle plan. And then I've spoken on this, I think I gave this message here. Um, is that as they go into the promised land, yeah, they have a bit of a rough start. They kind of try to do it their own way. They come back, regroup, go, oh, okay, yeah, let's do it God's way. So they go. And then for five years, they just take place after place after place after place after battle after battle after battle. They go and they inherit the enemy's what the enemy has laid up, thinking he's so clever. They inherit it and it becomes theirs. It's an incredible account to, to read. And then... We get to that ultimate battle, which is where Caleb says, now give me my mountain. This is about five years later. And this is the mountain where the giants were. This is their mountain of intimidation that, that caused them to walk around in the desert for 39 years and something days, more than they even needed to. And so we're like, you know, I don't know if you're like me. I'm, I'm reading this. I'm like, here, here we go. Here's the battle. Here's the battle and it doesn't even make it in the book there is no account of what that battle was like they just went and they took it (laughs) it's like what so as we come into this year god has been speaking to me and he's been saying chris there's a time and a season in the church where you are just going to walk in and if you will walk in with me We're going to fight battle after battle after battle, but it is not going to be like the battles you've fought for the last 470 odd years. It's not going to be like the battles you've you've fought in your lifetime. This is going to be a case of you walking in and taking over what the enemy has plundered, what the enemy has built up. And you are going to see a massive transfer into the kingdom. So my question for you is, do you have a winning mindset? Do you have a mindset that is inquiring, what are you doing at the moment, God? Are you ready afresh to go, yep, fought a few battles. Man, there's been some grunt. There's been some grind. But for you personally, I want you to go away today. And if nothing else, I want you to be asking yourself, do I have a winning mindset? Am I inquiring of God? Am I like the sons of Issachar and going, okay, new season, what are we doing right now, God? How can I be a part of it? Could this be the moment that the church really starts to take some ground? I want to suggest to you it is when there's wars and there's rumors of wars and there's earthquakes and there's plagues and there's good being called evil and evil being called good, I wanna suggest to you that it's a good time to check in with the big guy and find out what's going on and what is our part or what is your part in it. Second question I wanna pose to you is, do you think we could possibly be in the midst of a 500 year reformation? That escalated quickly, I know. It's a big question. But this is what I want to suggest to you and get you thinking. And it's taken me a good three months before I'm willing to share this anywhere, and you are the first people that I share it with. Um, I'll be sharing it back up in Whangarei next week. If you look across global history, pretty significant things occur around about every 500 years, and it appears to be very much around the calendars of 500 years. Let me run you back through a few. 1517 was Martin Luther, which was essentially, it became the split from Catholicism, and much of the Protestant movement has moved around the globe post-1517. It was a significant reformation. We jump back to between 988 and 1077 um, AD, and there was the great East-West Schism, which was the the Roman Catholic and the Eastern Orthodox um, parting their ways. And historians talk about that period being, interestingly enough, the Christianization of Russia If we jump back to around about the 500s, we've got Gregory the Great who sent out St. Augustine to, anybody know where? We would think of them today as a Christian nation because of their incredible cathedrals, clue. They were sent out to Anglo-Saxon England now we think of England today with all those incredible cathedrals. We just see them as having been a Christian nation. Would that be fair? Major reformation. Through it appear that St. Augustine was a major player um, in there. And then I think if so that's about 500, if we jump back. Um, to, I think, was, there was some guy who came then. Um, change, uh, he changed the whole dating system. And if you want to jump back another 500 years, you find yourself in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, which is interesting. I've just given you some really big bullet points there. Go away, study it, have a look at it, debate it. Debate it by all means. I just want to suggest to you that it appears that around about every 500 years something significant happens. And I'm aware of some stuff that's been going on in my lifetime, but I, w- I wouldn't say that I necessarily would say I've seen a major reformation in my lifetime. Yet around about 2000, I think we should kind of, you know, based on the pattern, we should be looking for it. Jesus kind of had some people on about not understanding the times and the seasons. And I think we get confused because we, we don't know the ultimate day when he will return. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be understanding the times and the seasons. If you look in the Bible, what did I just talk about? The Israelites, 470 years if you go into the book of Matthew, and you know how then it's got that genealogy in the front of the book of Matthew that we all kind of go, oh yeah, interesting, interesting, yeah, yeah, move on. Where are the miracles? But it's all in the Bible for a reason. There's three lots of 14 generations spoken about in the book of Matthew. The first lot, the first 14, they reckon were about 1,058 years. The second lot, they reckon we're around about 428 years. And you go, oh, Chris, that's close to 400, to then 500. But the third lot, they reckon we're about 580 years. So again, I want to suggest to you that somewhere plus or minus 70 years around the year 2000, we should be expecting something pretty phenomenal to happen. If nothing else, let's just get a little bit excited that maybe God's up to something. Maybe Aslan's on the move. (laughs) Now, I want to suggest to you some more. This Europe Media Church, you can handle the word. You were founded upon two teachers. Trevor, phenomenal teacher. Lynn, phenomenal teacher. So you can handle a bit of meat. I want to suggest that maybe we're in the midst of an apostolic reformation. That's bold. Now, for three decades, I've seen the a- a- apostolic be debated. I've seen apostles be debated. We're quite happy to say that person's a pastor, that person's an evangelist, that person's a teacher. Who's the other one? What did I miss? The other one. Prophet, sorry. How could I forget them? (laughs) But, I don't know, I mean, we don't seem overly happy to call someone an apostle. And actually, I think our bandwidth of what an apostle is, is, and where people have been called apostles, I'm kind of like, I don't know about that. If you read 1 Corinthians 4, Yeah, Paul. Paul's not given a real bright picture there about being an apostle. Uh, I don't think it's all power and glitz and glamour. It is is definitely. I want to just suggest to you that we're actually in the midst of seeing an apostolic reformation. I want to suggest to you that we're about to see incredible wealth transfer as we go in and we take battle after battle and just win it. I want to suggest to you that this is going to be one of the most intimate revivals that we've seen so far, Ayersbury being case in point, and apparently that is just one of many, many universities that right now are having encounters with God. And, and I respect what Ayersbury did and that they went, we're not turning this into a circus. God is doing something and we're protecting it. And I just go, I just want my own, Asbury. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the challenge for us is how can we position ourselves uh, that we can, you know, and not keep it to ourselves, but just be true to what God is doing in that time and in that moment. And I want to suggest to you that as we, if, if we are amongst an ap- apostle reformation an apostolic reformation i want to suggest to you that that will see some incredible transfer of power as well and it's not us as believers dominating it's us as believers being amongst the governmental systems of the world and bringing the influence of the kingdom because when we bring the influence of the kingdom who does well everybody the whole people breathe a sigh of relief when the king is good when the king is represented in education and in health and in politics and in the school system and in in, in the arts and the media, Disney. (laughs) People do well when the morals of the kingdom flow throughout society. And I'm gonna share a little bit more about that with um, with the business leaders entrepreneurs tonight. But if we are amongst that, as I came into this year, God said there's gonna be some incredible things going on, but he also said there's gonna be chaos. And I was like, okay, what is that? Well, that's kind of like, it seems an oxymoron here, God. He said, Chris, where was the chaos when the Israelites went into the promised land? I started to think about Where was the chaos? We read about them just going in and doing battle after battle after battle and there's no, you know, it doesn't talk about them being chaotic in any way. Where was the chaos? The chaos suddenly transferred from being in the Israelites' camp to being in the enemy's camp. And so I want to give you four very quick practical tips. I want to say, and I feel that I need to say this, is that church, we are going to see continued chaos in the world. I don't want you to think that peace coming in the world is actually something that is on the agenda right now. But I do believe peace in the church is what God is looking for. I've done a lot of whitewater rafting. And I tell you what, when you get in the rapids, the best place you can be is in the raft. And God, I wonder if he's setting us up an ark to go into this new time where we will stay in the ark. But the wisdom is going to be in how do we stay in the ark? How do we stay in the raft? And there's four things I want to give you very quickly. Number one is know your identity. Who are you? That, is, that was our message last year as we went through 12 different churches. We were saying, who, are, who does God say you are? Israelites, who does God believe you are? I'm not interested in the battles you've lost and all of that. I want you to get who you are. Number one, who you are. Now you think about it. If it is an apostolic reformation, an apostle comes and an apostle speaks into chaos and brings order. An apostle comes and they start to get pastors, teachers, evangelists, and the other one that I've missed this time. <laughs> oh, those guys, yeah. He starts to get them all working together. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other things and there's varying perspectives. I'm, again, I'm back to suggesting that that's a part of what we see. And you imagine when apostles can actually be called apostles, like an evangelist can be called an evangelist? And it's not because they've got the big jet and they've got 59 churches or something like that, so suddenly they get called apostles. It's not 1 Corinthians 4. But when you can go, hey, this is a person I recognize, an apostle, they can help me to call some things into order. They can help me to get my team working together in a whole new dynamic and a whole new way. What does that do for the body of Christ? Exciting. Know your identity. Now, apostles are not just limited to the church, I don't believe. They're in the marketplace. They, re- they should be in education. And I think there's a few people starting to wake up and go, actually, I think the closest I align with the fivefold ministry is actually as an uh, apostle. So I'm not going to run around and call myself an apostle, but I'm going to get on with the business of an apostle. I'm going to start to understand what an apostle is. I'll get it on it, and if at some stage someone calls me an apostle, so be it, great, whatever. They will receive a reward, just like they receive, if you receive a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. Identity, who are you? Number two is intimacy. Oh, you say the big I word, Chris. I've heard intimacy so many times. Can I just say, get past trying to earn your place with God and just allow him to take you on a journey and show you where are the special places, where are the special times, how does he like to relate with you? That's intimacy. Intimacy. I had to confuse I thought I had to read my Bible for 15 minutes a day, pray for 15 minutes a day, worship for 15 minutes a day, you know. Intimacy is finding your journey with God. That's number two for staying in the in the because you're in an intimate relationship and you're coming up to a rapid, the king just says, hold on. Or paddle left or paddle right. That's the best thing you can be doing. When you're when you're in a raft, if you're listening to the guide. They will tell you how to keep out of trouble. That's intimacy. Number three is pick your battles. This is big. Pick your battles. There are four places that God tells the Israelites to walk past. He says, don't go there, don't go there, don't go there, and don't go there. But but we're going into conquer. Don't go there because I'm not going to be with you. Pick your battles. For some of you, there will be a grace to pick some battles politically. Then go for it. For others, there is not. For some of you, there will be a grace to go in where there is conjecture. Go in. For others of you, there will not. But if you can walk in intimacy with Christ, He will show you the battles that are yours and the battles that are not yours. And it will be different for different people. And the fourth one is... Keep the chaos in the enemy's camp. Church, the chaos does not belong in our camp. When you hear of chaos, get out of the way. I have been blown away this year with how a divisive spirit has been able to get into really good and strong relationships. And I believe that it was a, it was released amongst COVID. We saw it. We, we saw as the church, we had to work through some stuff that that was freaking divisive. If you want to understand this a little bit more, Neville up here has a fantastic teaching on the Leviathan spirit. I suggest you have a chat to him and you get a hold of it and you read it because it dovetails quite nicely with what I'm speaking about today. But We've got to keep the chaos in the enemy's camp. And if we start to see it coming into our camp, then we deal with it swiftly and quickly and we run a mile from it. Don't be a part of divisiveness. And keep it tuned, because if there's chaos in the enemy's camp, he's gonna wanna get it in our camp. So be attuned to where it is. So let's just recap. Do we have a winner's mindset? Could we be in a 500 year reformation? To ride the chaos, let's allow him to clarify who we are, allow him to lead us into intimacy, allow him to pick our battles, and allow him to show us how to keep the chaos in the enemy's camp. Father, I thank You for this Word. I thank You, Lord, that it would go out and it would accomplish everything for which You plan and purpose it to accomplish. Father, I thank You that this is a church that can handle the meat, that can be attuned to the times and seasons, that wants to be at the very forefront of what You are doing. And so I entrust this Word now to this place to go out and to accomplish everything for which it has been purposed. I pray it in Your awesome Name. Amen. Amen.